Welcome to the Cheyenne Vineyard Podcast, bringing you a message of hope for your everyday world. If you'd like to contact us, contact us at info at CheyenneVineyard.com. You can also find out more information about the Cheyenne Vineyard Church at CheyenneVineyard.com. Thank you and enjoy today's podcast. And he defeated all of their gods. That's what he did through, through all of that. So now they, they're out of Egypt, and, and they, they eventually get to this mountain where, where God begins to really reveal himself to the people. He, he comes down in a cloud, and, and he reveals himself as this pillar of fire. It, this is all new stuff. And at this mountain, he uh, today we're, we're, we're going to look at that in, in what I think will be a new context for most all of you today. We're, we're going to look at it in, in terms of a bridegroom and a bride. Because that's really the picture of what was happening. And Jeremiah talks about it. Isaiah talks about it. Hosea talks about it. That's what was happening. But, but God reveals his ways. He, he reveals himself in, in a way that people can actually see. And then he reveals his ways. So, so that these people... Who, who were invited to him in Passover, so that those people, they, they can now really see, okay, if, if we're really going to be the people of God, then this is what this looks like. We, we live according to his ways. And see, this, this is not just an Old Testament concept. Because... Even Jesus, in John chapter 14, he, he says, if, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. And, and Jesus is the, the revelation of the Father. That's what the Father was doing way back at this mountain that, that we're going to look at in, in some detail today and, and probably next week. So these people who were invited, now, now they have the opportunity. They're, they're presented with what essentially what this marriage looks like. And they have the opportunity to say, I do, or not. And see the... The amazing thing about this is the, the picture, the foreshadowing of what was going to happen in Pentecost in the New Testament. Because God knew that even if these people said yes, they, they liked the terms of, of the marriage. 
that, that they wouldn't be able to do it. God knew that. But he knew that, that these people were actually a, a representation of another people that would come forth many hundreds of years later and and this this bridegroom god would would actually place part of himself in them and and that that we would would begin to to walk in in partiality of of what we will have for eternity that that we by the spirit of god living in us we we would begin to respond to to his spirit and and we would not have to look at a written code of how to live in a way that would please God. Instead, we would respond to his promptings and, and we would do what he said. And, and that is, that's the marriage that he's invited us into. And, and this, is, this is where we are in, in this story this this process is we have the spirit of god within us we we are no longer under the the written contract of marriage because he's he's placed it within us and and so for us, we, we, we have to awaken our, our soul and, and allow our spirit to be awakened so that we can respond. And, and the, the intent, God's intent here is, is not that we would respond like once a week or, or once a month, but, but we would actually respond moment by moment to to this one who who loves us so that's what i'm going to talk about for the next 2 weeks <laughs> they they tell you the best way to teach is tell people what you're going to tell them and then tell them and then tell them what you just told them <laughs> so I just told you what I'm going to tell you. And, hmm. See, the reason I had to tell you all that up front is to, to have the deepest appreciation for the symbolism of, of what God gave us in, in these feasts. We... We, we've got to see where this is all ending up. And, 
And then, then we can see sort of how it all fits together. Because, you know, as I have dug into Exodus for the, the last few weeks, the, this is so much more than a history lesson. If, if, if that's all, all this has been to you, then I, I pray for a spirit of wisdom and revelation to, to come upon all of us so, so that we can truly appreciate what God was doing with this ragtag family that, that he brought out of Egypt. Because God was doing something in, in the natural, in the physical, with the children of Israel that truly pointed to and, and gives us insight into what he is now doing with us as his spiritual family. And that, that symbolism of a bridegroom God calling forth a people to, to love him is, is, is a picture that, that we need just imprinted uh, upon our hearts. Is this, this, this is a God who is so full of love and, and he, he just, he so wants a people who would choose to love him. And what that love looks like, he tells us. If you love me, you'll do what I tell you to do. And, and so that implies uh, a hearing on our part, an understanding of what he wants, and, and then a choice of, of doing that versus the alternatives. And, you know, I, I'm not completely there. I, I want to be more there. I, I hope I'm more there today than I was last week, and I, I hope and pray that I'm more there at, at the end of the month than, than I was at the beginning of the month. Because that is the work of God by the Holy Spirit in us that brings this forth. But it, it happens much more quickly, much more fully as, as we desire him to do it. Because we, we want this God to have what he wants. Because he, he's so good. Can you open that back door again? I don't know about you guys, but I'm getting a little stuffy. <laughs> okay, so back to the message that I intended to give today. 
Um, I, I want to give you a little bit again today of, of what I shared at the beginning of looking at Passover. Uh, because I, I really want us to, to see um, this way of understanding the Old Testament. Uh, the idea of types and anti-types and fulfillments. So we understand that, that Israel was was a, a type i mean they 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 were a, a real reality they were the people that god brought out of egypt brought to mount sinai eventually brought to the promised land and all of the things that god did with them were real reality but they were pointing toward a fuller reality that would happen to somebody else in the future. And that somebody else, that's the anti-type. And the amazing thing about understanding Israel as a type is that there were actually two anti-types. Jesus was the first anti-type that, that Israel was pointing to, but we are the other, the church. In, in fact, many uh, Bible scholars, when, when they look at Israel in, in the Old Testament, particularly uh, looking at the story of Passover and, and Pentecost, and, and they, they talk about, Israel, the children of Israel, as the church in the wilderness. And, and you can think of them as the bride in the wilderness. You, you can think of them as the people of God in the wilderness. All of those are, are true representations or, or true ways of looking at this people based on interpretation by different prophets in, in the Old Testament. So, uh, if, if you can, Daria, if you can find the slide that has a, a table with three columns, I want to put that up, up here, yeah. So, what we have in looking at the feasts, and, and we can look at much of the Old Testament this way, the feasts were historically, literally fulfilled in the people of Israel. But prophetically, they were types that pointed to something in the future. And we can look historically and in reality at what God did. We can observe that in, in the historical record, the narratives that we have in the Old Testament. But in Christ, those feasts were also historically and personally fulfilled. And he actually is 
the complete fulfillment of the feasts. And, and I, I really can't wait until August and September because it's, it's going to be a lot of fun looking at the Feast of Trumpets and Tabernacles. It's, this is going to blow our minds. So, again, we, we look at what God did in Christ, and, and Jesus fulfilled all these feasts, number one, as a Jewish man and boy, as, as growing up, he, he celebrated these feasts. And then as, uh, you know, we, we don't know exactly, I mean, he obviously had tremendous revelation when he was a kid, when, when he was... He stayed behind the family at the temple and, and he was stumping all of the theologians with his understanding. And I think the record shows that he was seven at the time. So <laughs> uh, Jesus understood all these things better than even the theologians when he was seven. But he was the literal fulfillment of the Passover lamb. And we, we know that because we, we looked at that just a few weeks ago. He also is the fulfillment of the Feast of Pentecost, and, and we're going to look at that. But this gives us a new interpretation of, of what those feasts mean when we look at how they were fulfilled in the person of Jesus. But this is where, uh, I mean, this, this understanding of the feasts, to me, is, is one of the greatest arguments for the inspiration of Scripture. Because no writer was smart enough to figure all this out, all this symbolism. Maybe they could have gotten Jesus, but to get Jesus and the church in all of these Old Testament things, not likely. I don't think it could happen. But this is where it gets real interesting for us, is that these feasts actually speak of us. They they speak of what God was going to do in us, in the church, what he was going to do, and in detail, how he was going to do it. Because Passover, as we looked at a few weeks ago, we know that is the picture of our salvation experience. It's, it's the picture of the new birth. And, and we're going to find out that Pentecost is, is the picture of, of us receiving the fullness, some say the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So that's where this feast, Pentecost, is, is pointing to. It's, it's to us being filled baptized with the Holy Spirit. And, you know, as we look at this feast, we're, we're going to see the fulfillment of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, 
upon the church. But the reason that it's going to be so exciting in September, August and September this year, when we look at trumpets and tabernacles, is because that feast is yet to be fulfilled for the church. So that is the one that we are looking forward to. So I, I really wanted us to have uh, a little bit of this understanding once again, because I'm, I'm sure some of you missed it the first time. Uh, I remember the first time that I heard any of this teaching, it, it, was, it was so radical to me that I thought, wow, this is amazing, and this... But it took a little while for it to become real revelation to me. Intellectually, I was stimulated by it, but we, we need it to become revelation. That, that our God is, is so smart, and, and he, he is so capable of bringing history forth to, to accomplish just what he desires without forcing anybody to do anything. And I don't know how he does that, but, but he does. He is that smart. So anyway, I, I wanted to repeat that. I probably will repeat this one more time during Tabernacles and then we will get it. We will have it. So where I want to start today, <laughs> okay, <laughs> I guess I already started. <laughs> what was that, about 45 minutes ago? I don't know. I, I, I sort of wanted to pick up the story uh, where we left off at Passover. And, and so I think what I will try to do is, is get us to Mount Sinai today because uh, that isn't going to take us very long. Uh, and once we get to Mount Sinai, then I think we're going to need the whole uh, time next Sunday to, to look at everything that happens at Mount Sinai because it's, it's really amazing everything that God does and uh, you know well I can't go there just yet so we're going to pick up in Exodus chapter 14 oops because what, what has happened is the, the people have left Egypt and, you know, there, there's a lot of them. Uh, we, we think there's a, a couple million uh, in, in the entourage. Uh, probably more than that. So they're not traveling very fast. And, and they, they get to the Red Sea, and then they look back, and Pharaoh and his whole army are pursuing them. 
And, and so this, this is where we, where we pick up the story. And I want to look at verses 10 through, I think, the end of the chapter in chapter 14. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. And they said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. Now, you got to love Moses. Because... I don't know what kind of revelation this guy was walking in, but it was nothing like the revelation any of the rest of the people of Israel were walking in, even Aaron. I, I don't know how God spoke this stuff to Moses, but the faith that this man had to have heard God say this and then speak it to the two million plus people that this is what's going to happen. And you just be silent and watch what God is going to do for you. Okay, God, <laughs> let's, let's see what you're going to do. Because, you know, at this point, I'm not sure he even knew how it was going to happen. But this is amazing. And, and see this, we, again, what I want you to see, the context that I want you to hear this story in, is this is the bridegroom God showing himself to his bride. So he, he puts her in what would, I, I mean, I can't think of a worse scenario than this. You've, you've left Egypt, you've stolen the vast majority of their wealth, and now you're between the Red Sea and Pharaoh and his army. And there's... You didn't take their weapons, you just took their gold and silver. So, and, and God says to Moses, don't worry, I got this. And this is what happens. Picking up in verse 15. Then the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. There's a sea. 
Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry land. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they won't be the only ones who know. When I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the angel of God who was going before the host of Israel moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was, there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near to the other all night. So obviously they were, the Egyptians were on their heels almost <laughs> by the time God did anything. And he tells Moses, okay, just split the sea and you can all go across on dry land. I would want this husband. <laughs> Wouldn't you? And it gets better. Then the angel, okay, where, where are we at? Okay. Verse 21, Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. So it must have looked something like the old Ten Commandments movie. You know, that, that was really a pretty good movie. But they basically had the Niagara Falls on both sides of, of the people. And according to this, maybe it looked more like aquarium glass. But it was walls. And they were walking on dry land. And the Egyptians pursued and went in after them in the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And in the morning, morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and of cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, some of these guys had discernment, let us flee before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. Wow. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen of all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. 
But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. And I've got some videos of some of the archaeology that's been done recently, and I I think um, there, there are some a couple different archaeologists who have found the actual Mount Sinai. And there are some who have actually gone diving in the Red Sea and, and found what sure looked like chariot wheels down on, on the bottom of the Red Sea. But I, I want to show this video about the real Mount Sinai and the real Mount Horeb uh, Maybe Friday or maybe the next Friday, because it, it's a couple hours long, and I'll tell you, it's it's a faith builder. Uh, what what they found at at the real Mount Sinai, As, I mean, they they found where they made sacrifices. They found the place where they probably worshipped the golden calf. They they found, I, I mean. Elijah's cave on Mount Horeb, which is right next to Mount Sinai, it's, it's all there. And it's, it's amazing stuff. So we, we will do that soon. And I'll, I'll include it in the email for, for this week. But, uh, yeah, I just have a few more verses to look at because I, I kind of want to wrap this part up. In Exodus 15, after the song of praise, um, the song of Moses for for God's great deliverance, then they they had another problem. Uh, Now they're on the other side of the sea and they're thirsty and the water that they find they can't drink. So we pick up the story in Exodus 15, verse 23. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah, which means bitterness. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, or a tree, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. (laughs) There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God, and do that which is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you, that I put on the Egyptians, for I, the Lord, am your healer. And that's the first time we see the name Jehovah Rapha, where God gives himself that name as the God who heals us.
See, this, this is the bridegroom God showing the people, you, you want to be my bride. Not only am I awesomely powerful in that I just showed you how I can destroy the most powerful army in the world in just a, a matter of no time, <laughs> I can provide what you need as well. And then in Exodus 16, the people are hungry. <laughs> Imagine that. And uh, you, you can look up that story, but the Lord provides manna for them. And the, the literal translation of manna is, what is it? because they, they'd never seen anything like it before. But every morning, there was their food. All they had to do was go pick it up. And then, because they complained, he gave them meat. He gave them quail as well. So, this is the kind of provider I am. Not only can I feed you, and, and you don't even have to work for it, but if you really think you have to have meat, then here comes the quail, and you, you don't even need a shotgun. <laughs> so you don't have to watch out for <laughs> lead or steel shot as you're chewing. You can just... <laughs> How great is that? So then, uh, <clears throat> then finally, there's, there's another miracle. They're, the people are thirsty again in chapter 17. And, and this is a miracle that is, is really significant. And it's also one that is illustrated on, on the video that I'm telling you about because they think they found this rock. Where... Uh, I'll, I'll just read you the story because it's just a few verses. Uh, Exodus 17, 1 through 7. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, and they camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water. And the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and the water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the name of the place Masa and Meribah, because of the quarreling of the people of Israel 
and because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? And this rock that they found is, is about 50 feet tall. And it's, it's got this crack in the middle of it that a person can walk through. Because, remember, we're, we're talking about a couple million people. So they, they need more than just a little stream or a little brook running through. Because if it had been just a little bit of water, some of them would have died of thirst before the water ever got there. So below, and, and this, the amazing thing about this rock is it's on a high place. And, and there's all this evidence of a huge amount of water flowing from this high rock down in, into the valley where the people would have been. And it, I mean, it, it was, had to have been like a river coming out of that rock. So it, it's just, it, it's pretty amazing. And then finally, the, also in chapter 17, was the, the victory over Amalek. But what's happening is, is God is revealing himself to the people as a God who can provide for them, a God who can protect them, a God who cares about their needs and, and wants them to, to have what, what it is they want. Because he, he didn't have to bring them quail, but, but he did. And so he, he's, he's revealing himself as this bridegroom God. And, and so next week, we're, we're going to pick up the story in Exodus chapter 19, where the story gets really interesting. It gets kind of sad. It gets kind of painful. But it's powerful. And so uh, I, I just want to close with prayer. Uh, Father, I, I thank you uh, that you are who you are. You, you are the bridegroom God. And I pray, Lord, as we, as we look into you and your ways, that, that we would see what that means for us. That you're a bridegroom, God. Uh, that you're, you're a God who's full of love toward your people. And, and you, you desire for, for us to love you. So, Lord, I, I pray for this people, that you would enable us to love you more. I, I pray, Lord, that, that we would see you uh, from our hearts as, as, we, as we look at this amazing story. And that you would become 
the bridegroom God to us individually and, and corporately. So we thank you for how you provide for us, how you care for us, how you heal us, how you give us what we want and what we need. And we bless your name as your people. In Jesus' name, amen. So we will have our prayer team up here. Uh, if you need prayer for anything or if you need a word of encouragement, uh, we invite you to come. Uh, we, we had uh, kind of an amazing healing in the coffee shop this, this last week. Um, a friend of ours who was here doing a book signing uh, this last week, uh, I found out that he was suffering from chronic pain uh, ever since his last deployment. So before, before he left, uh, I, I grabbed Joy and a couple people who were in the coffee shop and we, we prayed for him. And this guy had been in a lot of pain. I didn't realize how bad it was. Joy asked him after the first time we prayed, uh, so what was your pain before and what, what is it now? He said, well, before it was an eight. And, and this guy is not a wimp. He said it's down to a four. So he was psyched. But when we see movement like that, we don't quit, right? <laughs> so we prayed again. And he started moving around. And it was back pain that he was suffering from. And he reached down, and I can't touch my toes, but <laughs> he did. <laughs> and he says, wow, that's amazing. It was a zero. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and we had a few other healings this week, too. So if you need some, get some. All right. Be blessed.